Titus. Short book. Won't take us long to get through. But last week, we only did six verses. And tonight, we're only going to do five verses. So, but still, we're going to pick up the pace here in a little bit. What I love about the book of Titus, it's basically if you were taking out your owner's manual for your car. This is the owner's manual for the church. This is how the church is supposed to work and run. So we've spent the last few weeks here at the end of summer basically talking about what are we supposed to do? What do works look like in a good way? Here in Titus, you say this is how it practically looks in the church. Now, some of the key verses that we went over last week, we talked about in verse 1 about what a bondservant is, to willfully give himself over to the Lord and say, I am yours, I no longer exist. I am dead to sin, I'm denying myself, and I'm just completely serving the Lord, and I give that over to you. So that's what we talked about last week, and the idea of keeping an eternal focus, the idea of preaching of God's word. But then we got to verse 5. Titus is here on the island of Crete, which this is a tough island, a tough group of people, tough ministry. And he says, I want you to set in order the things that are lacking. Now that term lacking is a really interesting term. It's a medical term, which literally means a limb that needs to be corrected, a limb that's out of joint. So what Paul is saying to Titus is, listen, the church at Crete, yeah, they're a church, but they're out of joint. So I want you to get them back going the way they're supposed to be. So set in order the things that are lacking. And then we spent last week, verse 6, about blameless. We finished with communion last week because we talked about blameless. A time to stop and say, is there something going on in my life that someone could point a finger at and say, you're a believer, but there's this. And maybe it's something somebody sees, or maybe it's something only you know about. There could be an outward sin, but also could be an inward struggle. So we talked about what it means to be blameless and to truly say, Lord, I'm not perfect, but I'm giving you everything. Everything. So that was our introduction to Titus. What we're going to do here in verses 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 tonight, he lists all the requirements of what an elder is supposed to be. An elder is supposed to be part of the spiritual leadership of the church. So now you may look at this and say, well, I'm not an elder. These are still good godly traits Godly traits as believers are supposed to have. And this message tonight, I love it because it's just so simple and straightforward. We're going to go through these, these traits and just simply ask ourselves, are they there, Lord? Are they there? I think of all those verses. Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. Lead me in your way everlasting. See if there's any iniquity in me. Lord, open our hearts tonight. Paul before communion, examine us, O Lord. Lord, check us out. Is there something? Great passage in Psalm 27 that says, Lord, test me. Test me. Make sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So as we go through this list tonight, you may say, Amen, that one's not a problem. Then you may get caught by the next one. But that's okay. Now, I do want to say this. If you've ever come out to some of our Saturday study, we did this years ago. There's a great book called The Measure of a Man by Gene Getz. And the purpose of this book is it takes this list in Titus, and it takes this list in Timothy. And it basically says these are the 20 godly traits of a man. Now, if you are interested, men... And you want to go through this book, let me know. We'll get you a copy, and you and I can go through it one-on-one. I would absolutely love to do that with you. It's a wonderful study. This, of all the books we've ever done on a Saturday morning, this is the one I've actually gone back through the most. I went through it once in the study. I went through it once on my own. And there's been two or three other guys that I've gone through it one-on-one with. It's convicting. It's straightforward. It's encouraging. It's everything. So men... If you say, hey, after this study tonight, I want to be this Titus man. I want to be this Timothy man. But I want help. I want to help you, and I want you to help me. Now, that means openness. That means accountability. That means responsibility. But if that's what you want, let's do this together. That's what the body of Christ is supposed to do. Ladies, 
Sorry, I got nothing for you. But there's a Monday study and there's two Friday studies. So ladies, there's a Monday study and two Friday studies. I hope you would be blessed by that. I hope you will be blessed by that. So, but men, if you're interested, let me know. One other thing I just want to share real quick. I started doing this with actually some of the teen guys out here at church. has been a real blessing. We pick a book of the Bible, and we just read a chapter every day or every couple days, and we just simply text each other every couple days. Hey, I read Mark 6 today, and this is what I got out of it. Or I read Luke, and it is just so cool. And that was actually some of the teen guys that contacted me up and said, I want to do this. I want that accountability for devotions. And here they are at 16, 17 years old saying, I want to daily be in the Word. What a cool blessing that is. So I just want to throw that out there. If that's something you're interested in, let me know too. So Titus, verse 5, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. We talked about that. If a man is blameless, we talked about that. The husband of one wife, having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable. A lover what is good, sober-minded, just, holy, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. What a great list there of what a godly person is supposed to look like. Now, some of them do apply specifically to the idea of a man, but a lot of them here are cross-gender, if you will. It applies to both men and women when it comes to that. So let's just break this down. And like I said, let's just go through each one. Let's talk about what it means and represents. And as we're doing it, keep in prayer. Lord, is there something I need to work on? Lord, is this something that you're kind of laying on my heart? So the first one, blameless, covered last week. Next one, the husband of one wife. The husband of one wife. Literally means a one-woman man. Literally means a one-woman man. It was not uncommon back during this society 2,000 years ago that if you were a good man, you would have three women in your life. You would have your wife that would raise your children. You would have a concubine for the physical. And then you'd have a mistress that was kind of like your wife slash concubine slash best friend that you talked to. And this was just considered common practice. So here, this is what a man is used to. So what would happen back during Bible times, some of these guys would get saved... And they would have all these women involved in their lives. So what Paul is writing to Titus is saying, hey, do you want a man to be a leadership of the church? He literally needs to be a one-woman man. Just his wife. His wife alone. Now, I'm assuming here in today's society, most men don't have the idea of the mistress, the concubine, and the wife. But what happens sometimes in this society is we have our concubine. She just happens to be online on the Internet. We have to let go of those things, what the Lord is saying. He's made to say, men, you need to have eyes and eyes for your wife alone. You need to make sure that you're pure in thought, action, and deed towards your spouse. It's going to be an ongoing battle for men until the day that they die. One of the things I always say when it comes to the temptation of a man, if I ever run into a guy that says he doesn't struggle in that area, it means one of two things. He's either he's dead or he's lying because it's a struggle and it's an ongoing battle. And so Paul is telling Titus, the men you pick in that leadership position, let them be a faithful to their wife. Let them be a one-woman man. A one-woman man. Now, next one, the children. Not only the husband of one wife, but having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. Faithful children. I like how it reads in the New Living Translation. I just want to share this with you real quick. An elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife. His children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. That's a tough verse. 
Before I became pastor out here, I was 22 when they first approached me about being pastor. I'd been married about two and a half years at the time. We didn't have any children at the time. And the first time that uh, Jim approached me about being pastor, I turned it down. I didn't want to do it. I knew what the responsibilities were. I knew what it looked like. I did not want to do it. He came back a few couple weeks later and said, I asked you to you know, prayerfully consider it again. And one of the reasons why I didn't want to do it is I know the expectations of the pastor's family. I know it. The idea that the kids will be perfect. They don't read the Bible in English. Good golly, they're pastor's kids. They read it in Hebrew and Greek. I mean, this is the expectation. And so I know that. I know the burden of that. And I have always tried to say from the day my first child was born, I want to remind you that Dawn and I are both sinners that decide to have more sinners. My kids are sinners. And you guys will have my sinners in Sunday school class. You'll have my sinners in VBS. My sinners will come over to your house. And I just want you to understand that. Now, I'm trying the best I can through the Lord to raise faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. But I know some godly parents And their kids are in tough spots. Does that mean something went wrong? Well, we can go back to the example of Adam and Eve. They didn't have a whole lot of outside influence, and they made some pretty poor choices. You know, if you go back and look at some of the biblical godly leaders that you see today, you look at the Billy Grahams, etc., they've had some issues in their families as well, too. Satan loves to attack children. He really does. And it's kind of interesting here, these words. We don't use these words a lot. Dissipation or insubordination. That word dissipation is a really interesting word. It's the word used for the prodigal son. So the prodigal son is what? A child that knows what they're supposed to be doing, but they're choosing not to do it. And I know there's a lot of families out here that you've had kids that have gone down that path. They know what they're supposed to do. I've talked to the parents, and I've heard them say this. I didn't raise them this way. They know right and from wrong. And that's the beauty of also the other scriptures in the Bible, Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child, and when they will go, and when they were old, they will not depart from it. Now, how old is old? I don't know. Some of your kids may have in their teens figured it out, in their 20s, their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, their 60s. I don't know. But the Lord promises us, listen, if you raise them and train them up, the Holy Spirit will keep speaking to their hearts. That's one of the beautiful things. That is such an encouraging thing to tell parents or grandparents is, listen, your grandchild, your, your son, your daughter may not be making good choices right now, but the Holy Spirit is there to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit 24-7 is ministering to them. But one of the requirements here for leadership and also for us as believers is people should hopefully look at our families and say, listen, I'm not saying they're perfect, but they're trying to live the godly life. They're faithful children. Now, there may be some prodigal moments. There may be some insubordination, but they're faithful children. Paul builds on this in 1 Timothy 3 by saying to elders and deacons, listen, very simply put, if you can't keep your family in order, how are you supposed to keep the church in order? That's a tough one. I remember one time ministering to a man that wanted to be in the ministry. His home life was not in order. And I remember talking to him saying, listen, if you want to go into the ministry, according to the Bible, your wife, your kids, you're the pastor of your home first. Make that your focus. He didn't want to. He thought the wife was the issue. He said she's a hindrance to his calling. He divorced her. Not called to the ministry to do that type of stuff. It's tough ministry. It's tough to minister to your spouse. It's tough to minister to your family. It's fascinating. One of the most difficult things I face every day is doing devotions with my kids. Not because I don't want to. I love it. 
It's hard to find the time. It's hard to get all seven of them in the room at the same time. And all of a sudden, now you look at it, and it's bedtime, and it's like, oh, Lord, you gave us 24 hours today. But, Lord, I want to do this. We want to raise the faithful family. Joshua 24, 15 is for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. doesn't mean you have a perfect home, but you're saying, Lord, I want to raise them in a godly way and be in a godly example to them. That's one of the ideas that are given right here. Verse 7, for a bishop must be blameless. There's our word again. Steward of God. Steward. Some of your translations just say manager. This is not my church. I don't want any ownership of this. This is the Lord's. And just like any ministry you're involved in, it's not your ministry. One of the most frustrating things I've ever seen in church, when someone becomes possessive of a ministry. It's mine. No, it's not. It's the Lord's. He's just letting you have a little bit of fun with it for a while. It's always the Lord's. It is not yours. We are just a manager. Even the children I have, they're not my kids. They're the Lord's. Dawn is my wife, but she's ultimately a daughter of the Lord first. I'm just a steward. I'm just a manager of what the Lord has given me. So if I'm just a steward, I'm just a manager of the Lord's, that means everything I have in my possession is not even mine. It's not my house. It's the Lord's. Lord, how do you want me to utilize it? Lord, it's not my car. It's your car. Does somebody need to borrow it? Do I need to use it? Do I need to take it? Not my item, not my possession. It's the Lord's. Always keep that in the back of your mind. It's not yours. Nothing is yours. It's the Lord's. We're just a steward. We're just a manager of it. And it goes right along with the next word there. Self-willed. Self-willed. Why are we self-willed? Because we want the power. We want the prestige. We want the pat on the back. We always battle pride. We always do. Speaking from a ministry standpoint, what Paul is talking about here, one of the most dangerous pastors in the world is a self-willed pastor. They may use the disguise of wanting to promote Jesus Christ, but really what they want to do is just promote themselves. And as we like to say out here, it's not about a man, it's not about a ministry, it's about Jesus Christ. That's always the focus. If you ever run into a ministry where it sure looks like the man is more important than the ministry, that's a problem. If the man is being elevated over Jesus, that's a problem. We're not supposed to be self-willed. We are bondservants that have willfully given our lives over to the Lord. We are nothing. Jesus set the example of self-will by getting on his hands and feet to go wash the disciples' feet. Remember that when it comes to ministry. It's never about you. It's never about the pat on the back. It's never about the attaboys. It's not about that. You may minister and no one will ever see it. But the Lord does. And that's what's focused. I love how this builds, though. Because what happens when we become self-willed? We usually get angry when we don't get the attention we think we need. So next one, not quick-tempered. Can you imagine Jesus yelling and screaming at the disciples? We just talked on Sunday about how the disciples were arguing about who was the greatest. Can you imagine the Bible saying something like, and Jesus turned around and just screamed at them? No. No. How often do we, as parents, resort to raising our voice? How often do we, as adults in work situations, resort in raising our voice? Or even among spouses, it starts the yelling and the screaming. Not Quick-tempered. Not quick-tempered. You know people that you are walking on eggshells around them. Well, I'm afraid to tell them this because they can just fly off the handle just like that. But if they're born again and saved in Jesus Christ, they have something called the Holy Spirit, and that is self-control. So therefore, a man or woman of God maturely should not be quick-tempered. Verse 7, not given to wine. 
not given to wine. Depending on your translations, that may read a little differently. Not given to drunkenness, not given to much wine. I would just say for me personally, me personally, and one more time, me personally. I take that for me as a pastor. I don't drink. Don't drink at all in any way whatsoever. Dawn doesn't drink. We don't do it. Not given to wine. Now, if you're not in the ministry and if that's not something you have that conviction on, then that's something between you and the Lord. The Lord obviously says drunkenness is wrong. The Lord says too much to drink is wrong, etc. What I run into a lot of times with believers is, well, I'm not a drunk. I don't drink too much. It's just every now and then I do this or that. Just be careful of how that comes across in your witness and your testimony. Just be careful about that. So as for me, that's something where the Lord has told me, not given to wine, I don't drink. But for you guys, that's between you and the Lord there. But just make sure it doesn't become a hindrance to ministry in any way whatsoever. Not violent. But you should think that should be pretty straightforward, right? But look at the buildup here. We're talking about quick-tempered. We're talking about wine. What happens when people get angry and they drink too much? A lot of stupidity is what happens. It's a great verse in the book of Proverbs where it's the guy's talking about being drunk and it says, hit me and I do not feel it. It's amazing the bravado that comes out after a few drinks, doesn't it? Not violent. Now, I'm not an expert on Greek. I don't claim to be, but the one commentary I read said, if you look at this, it carries the context also of words. Not violent with words. This is something the Lord's really convicted me of the last year or so, is as a pastor, am I equipping the sheep or am I whipping the sheep? I know some people that do a lot of whipping. Now, they may not yell, they may not scream, but the way they come across, it's a whole lot of whipping. That's something Dawn is constantly talking to me about when it comes to the kids. She'll come in and say, you're a little rough on them. I said, I wasn't rough on them. She goes, you're a little rough. I said, I didn't throw anything. I didn't hit anything. I didn't yell. I didn't scream. She goes, you don't have to yell, scream, hit, or throw to be rough. It's the way you come across that's something the Lord's really been working on me on. Is it equipping or is it whipping? Is it building up or is it tearing down? So you may be the person who says, well, I'm not yelling, I'm not screaming. Yeah, but are you equipping or whipping? Are you building up or tearing down? Not supposed to be violent, even in our words. In the last one there in verse 7, not greedy for money. Oh, good golly, that one annoys me. I'm not saying that I want to be greedy for money. That came across the wrong way. Because so often when you talk to people about pastors or ministry or churches, the unbelieving world says, they just want my money. You try to say, no, they don't, but then you flip on some of those programs, and it's like, yeah, I think they do just want your money. Boy, what an awful, awful picture that the church has sometimes presented of being greedy for money. I can give you so many examples of lessons I've heard over the years and things like that. It doesn't matter, the details. I tell you, the whole point of ministry is not about the money. The whole point of ministry is supposed to be about Jesus Christ. And it's not even in the ministry. It's just in life. It's never about getting that extra raise at work. It's never about getting that job with the more money. It's about representing Jesus Christ and impacting eternity. That's what it always is. Always is. The Lord promises he will meet your needs. He will take care of you. He is Jehovah Jireh, the God that provides. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You don't need to worry about that. Put Christ first and his righteousness, and all those things shall be added unto you. Let's stop there real quick after verse 7. Any quick questions, comments on any of those things that we've covered here thus far? What it means for leadership in a church, that's the primary context. But what does it also mean for us as believers, too, for just living a godly Christian life? Anybody got anything here? All right, let's move on. Verse 8, hospitable. Oh, I struggled with that one for the longest time. I told you for years that no one was allowed in the house unless the house was you know, perfectly clean. Perfectly clean. I remember one time there was a, a lady from church that called me up and she said something about wanting to pop over and drop something off for her. She was trying to be a blessing to us. 
And I said something, oh, it just doesn't work out right now. The, the house isn't picked up. It's not ready. She goes, I don't care if your house is clean or not. And I said, well, I do care, you know. And I started realizing how often I made that an emphasis. Or that idea of being hospitable. That idea of years ago, I can remember, I will be hospitable on my time frame. I feel hospitable at this moment, so you may come in. Wait a second. It's not my house. If I really want to represent Jesus Christ, it's the whole 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Let's represent Jesus in all that we do and say. You know, uh, when those tornado warnings were coming out a couple weeks ago, you know, one of the neighbor families, they don't have a basement. And so anytime there's a tornado warning or anything like that, you know, just come on over, come on down. And I didn't realize for years how I had scarred my children. That when I said, you know, the neighbors would be coming down, Dawn called and said the neighbors are going to come down and everything. And I said, that's great. You know, hospital was what we need to do. Elias, you know, 11 years old, Elias, the firstborn. He already has no joy in life because he's always worried about things. Dad, the house isn't picked up. It's like, you're right, buddy. The love of Jesus says stay outside in the tornado. That's the right idea. Because, But I, for so many years, it's like they can't come in. They can't. The house isn't ready. And so now I have scarred Elias to this. They can't come in. Hospitable is, you know what, it's not pretty. Just come in. And, and people, you know, come on over. And so now it's one of those things where people just, just, you know what, come on over here. Represent Jesus. And, you know, and opening up our house and just saying, you know what, want to come live with us come live with us because we just want to be hospitable we have been blessed with this place it's not our place what can i do lord with the things you have given us for his power and your glory and for you lord and i just want to tell you if you're one of those people that sit there and say it's really hard for me to open up the house you're preaching to the choir i've been in that position and it took years for the lord to break me of that and so now there it is so with that being said if you guys all want to come over tonight just don't tell Dawn. Just pop on over. We are nine o'clock, and, and she would let you in. Now Elias won't, but but Dawn, Dawn would let you in. Verse eight: A lover of what is good. Do you realize how generic that is? That's generic for a reason. I tell my boys this a lot: Just do what's right. Do what a Christian should do, guys. Though I'll be pulled into the middle of a situation, and it's like Solomon with the baby. I have no idea what's going on. I'm getting four or five different stories, and I'll just leave the room, and maybe this is bad parenting. Guys, your Christians pray about it and just do what's right. Isn't that just godly advice? Do what's right. This is what Paul is telling Titus, a lover of what is good. You want somebody who just know they're going to do what's good. Do the right thing. And before you sit there and say, well, everybody has a different definition of good. No, I don't. I have a biblical definition of good. So that's what I look at it as. And that's what I'm trying to tell the kids. This is your biblical definition of good. Is this what's right to do? Then this is what's right to do. Let's just do it. Which goes on to the next one there. Sober-minded. This one gets a bad rap. Sober-minded. Some of your translations, devout and disciplined. I have a lot of fun with what I do. I am so blessed with what I do. And we have a lot of fun on Sundays and Wednesdays. We laugh, we joke, I hope. But at the same time, there is a seriousness to what we do. We are talking about heaven and hell. We're talking about people's eternity. There's some very serious hospital visits, deathbeds, counseling sessions. There's a lot of seriousness to what we do. And what basically Paul was telling Titus here is, hey, you want somebody who understands the seriousness of eternity. The seriousness of the gospel. Yes, it's okay to laugh. It's, yes, it's okay to joke. But there is a sober-mindedness to what we do. There's a seriousness to what we do. Last one's here. Just, holy, self-controlled. 
Now, just holy self-control. Some of your translations say upright for just. Only thing, almost every translation says holy. Self-controlled, some of your translations say disciplined. So what does it mean to be just, holy, and self-controlled? Okay, just break it down like this. If you want to be just or upright, that's your relationship with other people. But people look at you as an upright, just individual. So if someone would come up to you and mention, what do you think of this guy? Hopefully they would say, you're upright. You're a good person. Next one, holy. That is your relationship with God. What does your relationship with the Lord look like? Hopefully it's, it's holy. Now, holy does not mean perfect. We get a misunderstanding of this word. The word holy literally means set apart. I've been set apart to God for his purposes, for his calling. And the last one, self-controlled or disciplined, this is your relationship with yourself. When no one else is around, do you, are you careful with what you watch? Are you careful with what you listen to? Are you careful with what you drink? Are you careful with what you do? When no one else is around. Are you careful with what's in your mind when no one else is around? Those three areas, being just or upright, your relationship with others, being holy, your relationship with God, and self-controlled, discipline, your relationship with yourself, of knowing that you're being a pure person in the Lord. And then the last one, verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Now, we're going to get into this verse more next week. This is our springboard to next week because verse 9, what it's saying is as an elder in the church, as a bishop in the church, they need to have spiritual understanding. So that way when you come to them with the Bible question, they can hopefully answer it. If you come to them with a the situation, they can say, well, this is what God's word says. Now, you may come to me and I may say, you know what, give me a second on that one. Let me look that up. Let me study that a little bit. But you hope that they're teaching God's word. Now, I just want to throw this out there real quick. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. That is really important to understand what it means to really teach God's word. I am not a fan, and I'm not picking on any church or any individual. I'm not a fan of one verse that springs board into 30 minutes of opinion. No, no, no. I think we just need to really stick to God's word as much as we possibly can. Being faithful to that. And then what are we supposed to do? By sound doctrine, not my opinion, but by sound doctrine, exhort and convict those who contradict. So on one hand, if you come to me with a struggle, I want to exhort you. I want to encourage you. If you come to me with the problem in your life that's your fault, then I need to convict you and say this is wrong. As we mentioned earlier in the study, I can't remember where the passage was. I think it mentioned something last week about the idea of rebuking. I hate that. But that's what you have to do. You've got to just go back to God's word and say, I've got to speak the truth on this. This is not right. This is not good. And so what happens now, that springboard of verse 9 takes us to the rest of it. Because look at verse 10. For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped. Hey, Titus, get this church in order. You need to get godly men leading it. You need to get the women involved in ministry. That's chapter 2. You need to get the children involved with stuff. And you got a lot of people, a lot of people that aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Get out there, rebuke them, correct them. Don't be afraid to do it. This is a tough group here that Titus was put in charge of to do. And this is why Paul, through the Holy Spirit, wrote this very quick book. Like I said, it's imagined it's the owner's manual. And your car, you pull it out and you say, okay, let's remind us what the church is supposed to be like. And this is a book that I go back to a lot. And the reason we're going into it now is we just got done talking about works of the church. 
what a great book to go into and say, this is what the church is supposed to look like. So, as we get ready to close up here, anybody got any quick questions, comments, about anything before we finish up? Yes? Yes. Hospitality ready. Yeah, that's right. Come on in and grab a dish rag. Because um, that's what Jesus would do. Is, but but no, I, I agree with what you're saying. Is is to me, and I, now I'm just I'm just talking, so be careful here. For me, when it was that people couldn't come in, it was pride. I needed to present this picture of my life to you. So I needed to make sure all my children had on little ties and black shiny shoes and the kitchen was perfect. And I would have purposely Bibles opened up to passages and we'd be just happening to quote scripture while reading to w, listening to WBCL as you came in. And it's like, sorry I didn't hear you because I was speaking in tongues. I'm sorry I didn't hear anybody knocking. And so it was this pride of presenting this picture-perfect biblical life where really, who am I really trying to glorify and represent? It was me, not Jesus Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. There's still an aspect of, Lord, we're a wise steward of what you've given us. You know, we want to keep the house in order, etc. But really, it's like, you know what? Okay, just come on in. You know, let's see what we can do here. Let's show you love. And let's just minister. That's what we're supposed to do. So I like what Becca said there. It's hospitable, ready. It may not be perfect, but you know what? You've got an issue. You want to talk about, come in, let's pray, let's talk. Anybody else got anything here before? Ron. Versus told me one time, character is judged by what you do when you're alone. Mm. Character is judged by what you do when you're alone. And that is a really good point. And a lot of the stuff we're talking about here is no one else would ever see. No one else would ever see. I mean, let's just be honest. We, we live in a society where we can cover our tracks a whole awful lot. You know, what we watch, what we do, et cetera, what we think. But the Holy Spirit sees that. And that's not something to make you feel bad or awful or condemn. It's just, you know what, Lord, if I really want to be a servant of you, a bondservant of every single thing I do, man, I want to think about you, Christ. I want to put everything through that lens. Because he sees. He sees everything. great example of that is, if you remember correctly, when Moses killed the Egyptian uh, back in Exodus, the Bible says that Moses looked to the left, Moses looked to the right, killed the Egyptian, then buried the body in the sand. Some pastor many years ago said it. I don't even know who did it. Moses looked to the left. He looked to the right, but he forgot to look up. And there's a lot of truth to that. How often do we do that in life? I look to the left. I look to the right. No one sees me. No one knows what I'm doing. Amen. I'm going to go forward. I forget to look up. The Lord sees. The Lord sees. Anybody else have anything here? David. You know, there's a verse, and I can't remember where it's at at this exact moment. I believe it's in Matthew. Let's see if I can find it. Where it talks about every idle word. Every idle word. And what a verse. What a verse. Matthew 12, I think. Matthew 12, 36. 
But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And I remember, you know, reading that verse, and it's like, I have a lot of idle words. A lot of idle words. And, um, boy, Lord, help us. I've been reading a lot of verses in Proverbs lately about the power of the tongue. Just the power of the tongue. And, and a mature man or woman of the Lord watches what they say. They really watch what they say. Anybody else have anything here before we close up? All right. So next week we're going to get into some more of Titus here. We're going to get into now the spiritual aspect of the correcting, the rebuking, the etc. What I'm really looking forward to is when we get into chapter 2. Because he just breaks it down. Older men, younger men, older women, younger women. It's right there. This is what you're supposed to be doing in the church. And what a beautiful example that is. And um, what, a, what a huge, huge blessing that is. Which I want to real quick. Rachel, are you in here? Is Rachel in here tonight? Rachel's here tonight. I don't know where she's at. What's that? She's in the nursery. Ladies, I wanted to make sure you know too. Um, actually, Nicole, you're in here. So I have to pick on you. Because you're helping help co-lead it. Friday, you guys are starting the new study, right? And that's over at Rachel's house. And that's um, being a godly parent. Is that what it's called? Okay. So Rachel has all the answers. Nicole knows nothing. But Nicole is helping lead that up. But it's, it's about being a godly parent there. And they're starting a new study on Friday over at Rachel's house. If you've got any questions about that, see Rachel, see Nicole. And what? Sacred parenting. Gotcha. Sacred parenting. That's the name of it. So if you have any questions about that, what time does that start, Nicole? Okay, so it's open to anybody, but it's, but you, but it has to be a lady, right? Right? Yeah, I'm just, I just clarify. Listen, you think I'm joking? I, who cares anymore? About ten, fifteen years ago, what's that? Guys can babysit. Well, well, thank you, thank you very much. Um, about ten, fifteen. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, just swing hospitable, swing by and drop them off. But. Uh, only if there's a tornado warning. Um, about 10, 15 years ago, there's a guy that started coming out to the church, and he was just one of those guys. He was like, this is, this is just not right. And he wanted to go to the Friday ladies' study. He came up and asked, would that be okay if I went? No. No. So if you're ever involved in the Friday ladies' study, I just want to let you know I got your back. I'm keeping the creepy guys from showing up there. So... So you think I'm joking, but I'm saying it is ladies only. I'm really kind of just emphasizing that. It's ladies only. All right. Anybody else got anything here before we close up? All right. Oh, yeah, Jim. Henry County. Henry County Hospital. Which also reminds me, too, your text praying for uh, James Bartleheim, too. We need to lift up uh, Jim Bartleheim tonight. Uh, Jim texted me earlier about that, too. Anybody else got anything here before we close up, then? All right. If you want an update on Clarence, check with Rich. Like I said, he went up to the hospital this afternoon to go spend some time with them. So uh, he may have some more information than what I have. Hey, let's pray here real quick. Lord, we want to be the church you've called us to be. And Lord, just not even this church. We just want the churches to be the churches you've called them to be. That, that's what matters most. Let it not be about any person or ministry. It's just about Jesus Christ. Help us to live it out personally, privately, corporately. And as we go through these lists of things, just, Lord, if there's something that you're convicting us of, help us to be honest about it. Bless the new study on Friday there with Nicole and Rachel. Just go before that in all ways and all things. We, we do praise you for just uh, Orshi and Zoli and their little baby. We just pray for continued health. Emmeline recovering from surgery. Tammy from surgery. Um, 
Miles Rudder, Hart Cath here, just to pray for continued recovery for him. Think of Jim Bartelheim, just some health to be upon him as well. And Clarence, lots of people hurting and struggling. I'm sure I'm forgetting some. Oh, Stacy, obviously down in Columbus. Be with them all. Thank you for what you're doing, what you've done. And we want to be the people serving you and loving you and always say and do in your name. Amen. Real quick, don't forget, parents, grandparents, kids in CBC, you need to go back and pick those kids up personally tonight. All right, you guys have a good weekend. God bless.